tonight we are going to start in chapter 23 of Genesis. And just to rewind where we've been, and I know that uh, we've been we've been going through Genesis now for many weeks. We are getting to kind of the end of, of Abraham's journey, and most of Genesis up till now has been the story of Abraham and his wife Sarah, who have begun a relationship with God. And, and in some ways, the journey that Abraham and Sarah are on is is much like many people, even today, <clears throat> who may not grow up in the church, may not grow up as Christians, but come to know God through a slow and steady process of revelation, of prayer, of contemplation. And that's exactly what Abraham is on. But Abraham is the archetype for the whole world at this point. He is certainly the progenitor of a race of people that we call the Hebrews or the Jews, who will receive covenant blessings from God. And those covenant blessings, as we've gone over the past several weeks, include very important things like land, the promise of a a homeland that the descendants of Abraham will get to enjoy. And as we remember, Abraham at first was barren, his wife, and he could not have children. This was a big deal for them. They were old by the time that God came to them and said, I'm going to establish a covenant with you and your offspring. Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as grains of sand, and they will be countless. And, And of course, to a man like Abraham, who was in his 70s at the time, this sounds like it's ludicrous maybe, but he trusted God and over time learned to trust God through a number of different events that happened leading up to what was the birth of his first son, Isaac. And last time that we met, uh, Abraham went through a testing of his faith. Uh, He waited 25 years essentially to have Isaac. As an old man, his wife Sarah is 10 years younger than him. So she's 90. She gives birth to a son. Abraham is 100. And they have a son named Isaac. And the boy grows up. And, and over time, God has been revealing his faith, his faithfulness to Abraham. And Abraham is slowly learning to trust God. And now where we're at, the last time, was God tested Abraham. He's like, okay, I've, I've, been, I've been very patient with you. I've been promising you that I'm going to give you these, these covenant promises. And he delivered. And then it was time for God to kind of test Abraham and say, all right, I've been promising you something. I've been I've given it to you. Now I'm going to see how far your faith has grown. And as you remember, God said, I want you to take Isaac, your only son, up to the top of Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him for me with nothing else being said. And then, of course, all of us look at this like, you've got to be kidding me. You just promised him this son. And now his son is uh, something like 14 years. It's something like 14 years later. His son is, is probably a teenager. <clears throat> and Abraham's even older. They go up to the top of this mountain and Abraham obeys and Abraham goes through with it. But God was just testing him. He wasn't tempting him. And it's important that we we say he wasn't being tempted with sin. He was being tested with faithfulness. And Abraham went through with it until the very end. And God said, whoa, stop. You passed. You don't have to sacrifice your son. You did it. And I know your heart. And, and we said last time that that was for God and it was for Abraham to understand this was something that Abraham had been on a huge journey from when you think of where he started as a pagan in a foreign country, hundreds of miles away, how far he came in his life. And that leads us to tonight. We're going to start with Genesis chapter 23, and we have a fair amount to read tonight. 23 is the short one. So if you want to volunteer for that, by all means, uh, 24 is a little bit longer, but uh, we want to try and get through both tonight. Who would like to read Genesis chapter 23 for me? When Sarah was 127 years old, she died at Kirath Arba, now called Hebron, in the land of Canaan. There Abram mourned and wept for her. Then leaving her body, he said to the Hittite elders, Here I am, a stranger and a foreigner among you. Please sell me a piece of land so I can give my wife a proper burial. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Listen, my lord, you are an honored prince among us. Choose the finest of our tombs and bury her there. No one here will refuse to help you in this way. Then Abraham bowed low before the Hittites and said, Since you are willing to help me in this way, be so kind as to ask Ephron, son of Zohor, to let me buy his cave at Machpelah, down at the end of his field. I will pay the full price in the presence of witnesses 
so I will have a permanent burial place for my family. Ephron was sitting there among the others, and he answered Abraham as the others listened, speaking publicly before all Hittite elders in the town of the town. No, my lord, he said to Abraham, please listen to me. I will give you the field and the cave. Here in the presence of my people, I give it to you. Go and bury your dead. Abraham again bowed low before the citizens of the land, and he replied to Ephraim, Ephron as everyone listened. No, listen to me. I will buy it from you. Let me pay the full price for the field so I can bury my dead there. Ephraim answered Abraham, My lord, please listen to me. The land is worth 400 pieces of silver, but what is that between friends? Go ahead and bury your dead. So Abraham agreed to Ephraim's price and paid the amount he had suggested, 400 pieces of silver, weighed according to the market standard. The Hittite elders witnessed the transaction. So Abraham bought the plot of land belonging to Ephron at Machpelah near Mamre. This included the field itself, the cave that was in it, and all the surrounding trees. It was transferred to Abraham as his permanent possession in the presence of the Hittite elders at the city gate. Then Abraham buried his wife Sarah there in Canaan in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre also called Hebron. So the field and the cave were transferred from the Hittites to Abraham for use as a permanent burial place. Excellent. I I like to tell people, uh, if you know how to pronounce it, well, thank you. Please tell me because, you know, I'm not an expert in in Hebrew uh, words. So sounds, sounds good to me. This has a lot of stuff in it. The first thing I like to always ask is, what do you take from this? What is the purpose or, or the, the points of this passage? Sarah dies. Mm-hmm. Yep. You got the easy one. So there you go. That's it. <laughs> yeah, Abraham was a sojourner in the land. Yes. By other people. Yes. But he was committing to the land by burying Sarah there instead of taking yes. her back home. This is big. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he was burying her there. Bearing, and not just burying her, what did he do before he buried her? This is the first real step towards homeownership, right? Mm-hmm. This is the first evidence that Abram has now become tied to the land here. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, this is an important moment. This is, this is super important. Yes, he has to buy the land, and he does. He purchases the land, which now becomes his in perpetuity, and he owns that land outright. Something to be made, make a couple comments here, what's actually going on. If you caught it, there was this interplay between, and first we'll talk, I do this, and sometimes I try and be careful how much I do this about history and all this stuff. The Hittites are in fact a culture that is known from history. The archaeological record says that they started to become a numerous culture. They, they started in Turkey. So if I have my I'll just do this. I'll show you my map. Turkey is is up here. So, you know, you, you look north. North of Canaan is, is the region of Anatolia, right? The Hittites come from a place called Hattusa. That's where they get their name from. It's kind of in central Turkey today. This great and flourishing culture that's known from their art, their writing, and so forth, they, they are sending sojourners themselves into the Levant, which we call Canaan, in this period. So this fits with the historical record. Abraham goes to this guy and says, I want to buy your field. Now it's a very interesting interplay that happens. He kind of says, well, I got this guy Ephron and it's kind of his land. Remember, we're in a time where this is not states and countries as we know it. It's a completely different society. Basically, the most richest, powerful guy in the region owns the region, and he owns the land, and it's his. And guess what you do if you own the land? You get to reap the fruits of the land. You get to get taxes from the land. You can you know, charge tariffs. If you're going to be transporting things in and out, you can charge people for that. So what looks like ends up happening here is this guy Ephron kind of owns the spot. So he very generously says, Oh, no, Abraham, you can have the spot for free. Well, it's not really for free. I think first we need to kind of make that comment. 
from Ephron's point of view, he doesn't mind kind of, quote, giving this burial spot to Abraham because then he's off the hook for any kind of taxes, um, uh, duties, uh, any kind of, uh, you know, the people that live there might be subject to the Hittite rulers that are kind of in the area. So first of all, Abraham doesn't want any of that. Secondly, from Abraham's perspective, I think he wanted to own this land outright. He wanted there to be no kind of question mark that he that was his land. He owned it, and not just the cave, but the land around it and the field around it. And he wanted to pay a fair price in front of the leaders of the Hittites and of this Ephron guy and the, and the citizens of the area to say, this is my land. Everyone is hearing this. This is my land. I'm Abraham and I'm owning this. Once that happens, that is essentially in perpetuity his land. And this is, of course, a very monumental moment for the, the Israelite people. It's the first time they actually own something outright in the land of Canaan. <clears throat> they're not just they're not just nomads. Hebron being the, the place south of Jerusalem. Very holy site. Muslims and Jews, and now Christians, of course. The cave of Machpelah. This is a story for you. The cave of the patriarchs is another name for this. All of the patriarchs and their wives, except for Rachel, will be buried in this cave. Rachel will be buried in Bethlehem, which is right there. It's just between the two. All of them will be buried there, and that becomes a very, very holy and important site for the Jews from here on out. In fact, uh, as a side note, this is a region that is currently under Palestinian control. There's a war between Israel and the Palestinians in the 20th century, after which, for a brief period, the Israelites took control of this. And, and it's important to note that ever since the, the Muslim, essentially, Ottoman and Muslim, you know, I have to say this in a nice way, people that inhabited the land and kind of took control of it somewhere around the 8th century AD, they kicked out the Jews and they were not allowed here in Hebron. So this was actually, ever since then, really, the, the Jewish people were really not allowed to any great degree. Herod did build a, a temple here. He did build a structure, which I think is still there, maybe in the first century, but that was a very brief period. And then they, you know, other forces, they weren't really allowed there. So, so for a very long time, the Jews have not really been able to get into this site. Well, in the 20th century, the Israelite army takes control of this and they send some people in to look at it. In fact, I believe, if this is, if, if I'm not mistaken, an Israelite army general actually got, I believe it was a young person, maybe it was a girl, to go in and snake her way down into the bottom of the cave of Machpelah to, to report on what she saw. Now, they only had occupation of this site for a very brief period. And so the clock was ticking, sends in this girl with a flashlight and like, I don't know, a notebook or something. And, and they tied a thing, you know, a rope around her and they sent her down because it was all very blocked with with rubble and debris from centuries of, of kind of misuse. And, and so she goes in and, you know, of course, there's no coffins there. There's no bones. Um, there's candles. There's a lot of graffiti. There's, there's some rubble, really nothing else to speak of it. But that just shows you, you know, the Israelites care about this. They care a lot about this site because it is, in fact, very sacred ground for them. This is where it all started, essentially. Okay. What else do you take from this passage? It was interesting. He asked for the cave at Machpelah, but then at the end, he was being uh, buying the the cave, the field, and the trees. Yes. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. And the price was named by the owner of the land. And right. Usually, I think in the Middle East, there's haggling back and forth. Right. But there's no haggling here. He's, it's really just, can I pay for it or not? But once they decide to pay for it, yes, it's just, okay. Pieces of silver. Yeah. There was no haggling. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Abraham didn't argue. He's not, he's not going to cheap, yeah. right? He's like, fine, if you say this, this is I'm giving it to yeah. you. And the fact that he could just give it to him shows you how wealthy he was. I mean, yeah, you know, right. My Bible says it's 10 pounds of silver. So I'm thinking, like, it's a lot how of do you carry around well, yeah. 10 pounds of silver? Like, that's not, like... Yes. You know, he's, it's it's a lot of bags. I'm thinking, like yeah. you're a big bag, ten pounds of soda. Right. So yeah, he's very well. He's just like snap, and it comes ten pounds. Well, he's right. just walking around here. I get ten pounds. Of soda. <laughs> Probably had more than that because he didn't know how much the food would be. Yep. Anything else to take from this? 
Yeah, go ahead. It was deeded over to him as a possession in the presence of the Hittites. Yeah. So it, uh, there was record of it. Right. Yes. He made sure there was record of it in the gate of the city where the business is uh, business is, is performed or held. You know. This is great. Uh, we're becoming experts in, in ancient history, really. If you think about it, this is now uh, several times now we've talked about the cities. They have gates. The, the, the important people will come out during the day at the gate and, and do their business. The business transactions would happen. Judging would happen of criminals or civil cases. Kings and rulers would make decisions. Business would be transacted and then everyone would go home and the dates would be shut. So that's exactly what happened here. This is a record for everyone to hear that this was happening. Let's move on to the big one. Chapter 24. Isaac and Rebecca. Who would like to read Genesis chapter 24 for me. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Abraham said to his oldest servant, who was in charge of everything he owned, Put your hand under my leg. Make a promise to me before the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. Don't get a wife for my son from the Canaanite girls who live around here. Instead, go back to my country, to the land of my relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, What if this woman does not want to return with me to this land? Should I then take your son with me back to your homeland? Abraham said to him, No, don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, brought me from the home of my father and the land of my relatives. And he promised me, I will give this land to your descendants. The Lord will send his angel before you to help you get a wife from my son there. If the girl won't come back with you, you will be free from this promise. But you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under his master's leg and made a promise to Abraham about this. The servant took ten of Abraham's camels and left, carrying with him many different kinds of beautiful gifts. He went to northwest Mesopotamia to Nahor city. In the evening, when the women came out to get water, he made the camels kneel down at the well outside the city. The servant said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, allow me to find a wife for his son today. Please show this kindness to my master Abraham. Here I am, standing by the spring, and the girls from the city are coming out to get water. I will say to one of them, Please put your jar down so I can drink. Then let her say, Drink, and I will also give water to your camels. If that happens, I will know she is the right one for your servant Isaac, and that you have shown kindness to my master. Before the servant had finished praying, Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, came out of the city. Bethuel was the son of Milcah and Nahor, Abram's brother. Rebecca was carrying her water jar on her shoulder. She was very pretty, a virgin. She had never had sexual relations with a man. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and then came back up. The servant ran to her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Rebecca said, Drink, sir. She quickly lowered the jar from her shoulder and gave him a drink. After he finished drinking, Rebecca said, I will also pour some water for your camels. So she quickly poured all the water from her jar into the drinking trough for the camels. Then she kept running to the well until she had given all the camels enough to drink. The servant quickly, quietly watched her. He wanted to be sure the Lord had made his trip successful. After the camels had finished drinking, he gave Rebecca a gold ring weighing one-fifth of an ounce and two gold arm bracelets weighing about four ounces each. He asked, Who is your father? Is there a place in this house for me and my men to spend the night? Rebecca answered, My father is Bethuel, the son of Milcah and Nahor. Then she said, And yes, we have straw for your camels and a place for you to spend the night. The servant bowed down and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed is the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. The Lord has been kind and truthful to him and has led me to my master's relatives. Then Rebekah ran and told her mother's family about all these things. She had a brother named Laban, who ran out to Abraham's servant, who was still at the spring. Laban had heard what she had said and had seen the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms. So he ran out to the well, and there was the man standing by the camels at the spring. Laban said, Sir, you are welcome to come in, if you don't have it to stay. You don't have to stand outside. I have prepared the house for you and also a place for your camels. So Abraham's servant went into the house. After Laban unloaded the camels and gave them straw and food, he gave water to Abraham's servant so he and the men with him could wash their feet. Then Laban gave the servant food, but the servant said, I will not eat until I have told you why I came. So Laban said, Then tell us. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. <clears throat> and Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all that he, he uh, to, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, 
you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and um, to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But said, he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife from my son, from my clan, and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. <clears throat> I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if, you, if now you are prospering the way I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman who the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. <clears throat> she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithful to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. <coughs> Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. <clears throat> he also gave to her brother and to her mother mostly ornament, costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her then. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent Rebekah, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men and they re and they blessed Rebekah and said to her our sister may you become thou thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and that when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant took, told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Well, there is a lot to unpack there. I'm going to let you guys tell me, what did you get from all of this? Mm -hmm. wanted Isaac to have a wife from his clan. 
it's also interesting because Abraham he took a wife from his father's house mm-hmm. also <laughs> you know yep. what I mean like his Sarai was his sister half sister mm-hmm. so there's something about staying within your clan this is very important antiquity very important that you especially in the Near East that you marry within your clan and your clan was often a bunch of people that were related to each other and in this case he's he's essentially going to marry his what we think is his first cousin could be like a first half cousin or something but yeah and he's also it's interesting he waits till he's 37 mm-hmm. because, well at least 37 because Sarah died when Isaac is 37 and this happens sometime after Sarah dies mm-hmm. so either I don't know what t- age they usually got married but it's not early this for Isaac. is actually fairly important so, and it's all tied together. To some degree, yes, it's it's a little odd that they waited so long for, for Isaac. And I'll just unpack it. It's very common in, in much of antiquity for arranged marriages. That was the norm, not choice. It was some choice. To, it was all kind of a family thing. You all talk about it. But to have the parents kind of arrange this was very common. That's the first thing we got to talk about. The second part was why. Why now? There's something to be said for what is about to happen at the end here. What happens at the end of this chapter, <laughs> apart from the, you know, what we know is happening? <clears throat> where did he, where did Isaac take Rebecca to quote marry her? And we all know what that means. Into the tent of Sarah. Yes. What does that signify? Just think about it for a minute. She's like yes, that is exactly it. So I think what a scholar would say here is, the reason this is all happening now is because until this happened, Isaac is not in charge of the family to any great degree. Abraham and Sarah are in charge of the family and they're running the show, folks. And it's theirs and it's their clan. It's their people. They waited. They waited until Sarah passed to finally say, okay, now we can start the transition here that's going to happen. As soon as Isaac took Rebecca into what was his mom's tent, guess who becomes the matriarch of the family, the, 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 the matriarch in waiting? It's Rebecca. And that now establishes Isaac and Rebecca as the inheritors. Remember, too, that if something had happened to Isaac, we still, you know, because we believe that this is all ordained by God, if something had happened and it wasn't and Isaac had died, that servant probably would have inherited, Eliezer would probably have inherited all of it. He would have become kind of the pseudo-patriarch of the family. But now that Isaac has married Rebecca, they've established her as the matriarch, Isaac is the presumed patriarch, it's all set in motion there. The servant <laughs> took an oath on what he was going to be doing. And he was a very faithful servant. I mean, he was... I have to say, that's very, pretty remarkable. What does he say? It's kind of interesting. What does he actually say when he prays? Lord God of my master. Yes! He didn't say Lord God my master or God of the universe. Remember, this is still a probably polytheistic family. I I really have to challenge people that say it's not... There really isn't anything about monotheism yet here. And that was another thing I was going to question, you know. Abraham didn't really say anything about make sure she believes in Yahweh, Jehovah, as the only God of the universe. The first thing he cares about is her ethnicity. Her ethnicity. The servant almost certainly must believe in these other pagan gods. We know that they must have. Well, but they kind of have household gods. And so yes. since he serves Abraham... He's serving Abraham's God. So I can see why he would call mm-hmm. him that because... Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's the, the pagan way of saying it. That's exactly God, right. Exactly, yeah. I serve my master and his God is this, so I'm saying I'm praying to the God of my master. Yes, exactly. So by default, that is his God because he's under that household, right? Yeah. Now, remember many weeks ago, towards the beginning, I made the comment about how that works in, in this society. Um, oh no, don't go away. Work on that. This is the region. Here's Canaan. Here is what is northern Iraq, southern Turkey. Nahor is up there. Ur, 
which is southern Iraq today, <laughs> the Euphrates and Tigris, uh, you know, sorry, uh, Mediterranean Sea. So it's me- been a year and a half there. Uh, you know, I'm going to have you draw it next little, time. Uh, <laughs> You're the expert. I know you are. Um, I'm not sure I can do much better. Oh, no, it's all good. Here's my question for you. You know, at the beginning, I kind of said, remember, the household God thing, it wasn't just your household. It was your, it was your region. So remember this, too. As they leave this region, right, no one would have thought the God of Canaan, uh, the God of someone serving in Canaan, would have any power outside of that area. So it's very interesting. Not only does that servant pray to God, where does he pray at? Where is he doing all the praying at? He's not in the region where the God is supposed to have power. This is really important. It isn't to us because we already get it. But the people of the time who are reading Genesis hundreds, even thousands of years ago would have been like, that's so weird. How can Abraham's God, who obviously has power in Canaan, because remember, he has done miracles in Canaan. He has has allowed the five kings to rescue Lot. He has destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He has provided theophanies or visions to Abraham's family. Suddenly now, they're hundreds of miles away, and he's praying, and God is answering his prayers. And it's prayers for lots of different kinds of things. Remember, I also said that there were gods for every kind of natural, you know, uh, natural phenomenon, different god of rain and thunder than the fertility of the earth for, you know, your crops to, to work and that sort of thing. So the authors of Genesis are making a very clear effort here to say, this god, Yahweh, has broken all the boundaries of ancient ideas of what gods are. He is all-powerful. He can act anywhere. He can act even to people who are not his own family, right? You know, it's it's blowing your mind, right? And it's important that that's in there. God for a very specific thing. Yeah. He says, I'm going to say this, and I want you to have her say that, which I don't know that we usually pray like that. This it's is almost <laughs> like he's issuing a challenge to God mm. or something, and then if it doesn't happen, then he's released from his. Yeah, you know he doesn't have to do it; he can just go back home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's he's making it, or he's asking for something that seems impossible. Mm-hmm. That a sequence of events will happen, but doing his due diligence, going mm-hmm. through. Okay, I did my part. I said this. Yeah. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I go home. I think that's what he was maybe yeah. thinking in his mind in the back of his mind. This is actually, again, another important part. In antiquity, oracles would be the the mediums that you would consult to kind of be the bridge between man and God and give you answers to questions. Remember, there's priests during this period, but they were more kind of, at this period, more of the kings. They were more the guy in charge of the city or of the grain or of the region, but they they also kind of were in charge of the cult of the god of that area, an oracle would be someone you went to for answers. And, and in fact, many people would go to an oracle from all over the region if they were good. This is how it worked. You would go to the oracle and you would ask them yes or no questions, very specific questions, and you would get an answer from the oracle. Should I marry Laura? Right? For really important, miraculous things, you would ask something that a yes would have to be provided in order for you to, to do it. Um, for kind of mundane things, it would just be, you know, a negative, like, you know, uh, you know, should I, <laughs> if you want me to kill my neighbor, then, you know, don't, you know, n- don't have any thunder, right? There's no thunder. Okay, I won't go kill my neighbor. Um, so this actually evolves into the Jewish practice of the umim and thurimim. And I don't know if you've heard me say this or you've heard this before. At some point in the Israelite culture, they will they will actually create objects to cast lots, essentially, to answer very important questions. So this is actually pretty typical for the period to ask God a very specific question, which is kind of a yes or no response. Either it's going to happen or it isn't, and that's exactly what happens. In this case, it's a yes, right? He prays for a very specific thing that only if it is a true miracle could it possibly... I mean, let's be honest, folks. He... For the girl to come out, first of all, a beautiful virgin to come out with water, that's the first 
kind of amazing thing. Secondly, it's his family member, you know, Abraham's granddaughter comes out. And third, not only does she offer him water, but she offers her camels water. That would never happen. She wouldn't come out and, I mean, this is a young girl. The most you're going to hope for is, you know, do you want some water? I can help fetch some water for you. She offers to fetch water for the camels. This is a huge job. I don't know how long it took her to go and get, you know, a camel can drink like 25 gallons and they got all these camels there. So really, in a way, this is a very supernatural act that must have happened in order for this, this servant to accept that this is really what's happening. I think that shows God's power here, too. Again, mm-hmm. we're working out a lot of problems here. Finished making the request. Like, he was still yeah. talking. It's the first person that comes yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is not an accident. How awesome is that, right? Mm-hmm. How awesome is that? She showed great industriousness by yeah. supplying the, the camels that they needed, yeah. giving him the drink. She's looking and like a great catch here. Offering, you know, that, that they had space in the place for him to stay and I mean, hospitality. Yes. You know. Very good. At the end, I mean, with, you know, they're, she, he, he's discussing it with her family. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, well, give us 10 days. We're going to run this by her, you know. And he's like, no, I need to go, you know. Mm-hmm. So they bring her in, like, you want to go with this guy? Yeah. <laughs> it just seems so like, yes, I'll go with him. I it's think like, that's in there on purpose. I, I, I'm actually kind of surprised reading that. If I were a historian and I didn't really believe in this stuff, I'd be like, why did they ask the woman her opinion? That seems odd. Yeah. They would have just told her to leave. But they asked her. So God has now provided an opportunity for a woman to have a choice in this, right, to some degree which I think is good. And they wanted her to stay. Did anyone catch that? Yeah. Yeah, Laban and the mother had their eye on the golden bracelet. I think so, yeah. And they thought, well, let's see what we can get here. <laughs> That's exactly it. Laban had his eye on those. Yeah, look at all that shiny yeah. stuff. The silver and the gold. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got all this. How much is it? Let's see what more, how we can milk this one. And we know Laban from later in Genesis, right? He turns out to be a bit of a rascal, too. Yeah, let's just go, right? It was interesting, you know, he gave her a nose ring. I don't know if that matters or if that means anything specific, but you just don't think about giving somebody a nose ring, you know? Not in today's world. Not in today's culture. It's very common back then. Very common back then, not today. But gifts, yes, she's already getting gifts. And, and again, historical perspective, there's two kinds of gifts that are exchanged during a wedding or a wedding arrangement. There'd be a dowry. This is a this is a the bride's family thing, where the bride is you know is marrying the groom. They're sending her off, so the bride's family would often give the bride gifts. It's kind of like wedding today. We do it, and it's wedding gifts, and it's all kind of mixed together. But in that period, the bride's family would give the bride gifts, money. Uh, uh, jewelry, clothes, perfume, and that sort of thing. The groom's family would provide a wedding gift. This is this is not a dowry. This is a separate kind of thing. This is the groom's family is essentially reimbursing the bride's family for taking her away because she was valuable to them. She did a lot of work. I know it sounds crass. That's what this is. Uh, she cooks. She cleans. She bears children. She essentially runs the household. That's a big job, and you're taking our daughter away. I need some compensation for that. It sounds crass, but that's exactly what is happening here. But, um, you know, I think the point is very clear that obviously Laban knows that Abraham is a very wealthy man. He's seeing a lot of money. Maybe maybe we can keep this going a little longer, but no, they're going to leave. So. The servant tells them what he prayed for and how. The prayer was answered, and they just accept that it happened and that it's true. They don't. I mean, he's just a stranger that they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, he shows yeah. up, and they're just like, "We're going to take your daughter away." Yeah, and I guess they're just like, you know, mm-hmm. that's what women do, though. They get married and then they go away, so they're probably like happy that yeah. <laughs> they found somebody to, who's rich to do that. I want to go back to the servant thing. I mean, I really, I'm still amazed by this. 
this servant, there was no, in a way, vested interest in him doing this, in a way. He could have lied about it. He could have said, oh, I went to you know Nahor and, and there was no good women and none would come back. So sorry, you're on your own. Isaac, uh, you know, it just seems like it shows his faithfulness. It shows, I think this was a good guy. And I think Abraham picked a good guy to do this yeah. because he could have really kind of done a lot of bad things here, but he didn't. It's interesting that they don't name him either. Because earlier they mentioned Eliezer. Right, right, right. And maybe it was him. Maybe it wasn't, and right. Right. That's who you'd assume it would be. Right. Now, her family all knew who Abraham was, right? I mean, that was yeah. part of the... They haven't seen him for decades. Right. We presume, again, there could have been some movement of people back and forth. You would think that's possible, but he, Abraham, as far as we know, did not go back to northern Iraq. So. We're, we're kind of assuming that they know that what she's going to a wealthy right. part of the clan. Or yeah. Yeah. This unemployed guy didn't show up with nothing. Yeah. Right. Empty pockets. I'm here for the cute virgin. Yeah. I also really like that it says before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out. Isn't that like, awesome? As soon as he started praying, God was already answering it. That's awesome. He hadn't even finished praying and God was answering it. For this, who say, people who say that God takes forever to answer prayers, not always. <laughs> not always. Maybe you uh, were shocked by the grabbing under the thigh. Anyone catch that one? I just think that must be tradition. It was the oath taking or something. Yes, this is actually not common in antiquity. It's It's thought that this is some, and and again, this will happen later in the Israelite uh, story. The thinking is, and it's not under the thigh. This is a euphemism. It is thought with pretty pretty good thinking. He grabbed. They grabbed each other's loins. I mean, they grabbed them, and and the thought here is that this is an oath. <laughs> it's kind of a, you know, today we shake hands or we raise our hand or we put our hand on our heart, and that's how an American might might say an oath. It seems as though in this culture, this Hebrew culture, member reproduction is an important part of the covenant. God has promised Abraham's seed will will continue through Isaac. What the servant was sent to do was find a wife for Isaac so there could be offspring. All of this is, and there's a covenant of circumcision as well, right? Which is related to the the offspring. Something here is saying that this is such an important oath that they're, they're, they're grabbing the, the thigh. Um, It was interesting when they sent her away, they sent her with a nurse also. She had her own personal nurse. Yeah, it didn't go alone. She took some <laughs> took some people with her. There's some maidens, right? Some sisters. Oh, yeah, here, take a few more, really, you know. Yeah, it would be caravan. They would definitely travel in a caravan, and there would be, fr- yeah. And then they blessed her with uh, a blessing of mm-hmm. And that your offspring may possess the gates of those who hate them. Boy, that's an interesting reference, isn't it? All of a sudden, you throw that in. What's that alluding to in the future? Well, that they have authority over other people. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, dominion over other people. Yes, yes. They conquer the land. You know, you got you got Joshua coming to mind now, right? You got David coming to mind. They're going to conquer this land. There's going to be more than one town. If you thought Hebron was the end of it, it ain't. Stick around, right? So. Uh-huh. Haven't we seen? This is probably doesn't make it matter at all, but Mir Lahai Roy. Didn't we read about that earlier somewhere? Or no? I was thinking that was where the wells were, but that yeah. was that Beersheba. Yeah, that was Beersheba. Okay. Now he's down in the Negev again. That was that southern region. He's he's out, you know, in the wilderness. And again, that's another thing. He comes back. Maybe it was divine. Maybe he, you know, was in communication with others. But he came back, and they met, and they met. Um, this was meant to be, folks. This was not an accident. There it is. The man shall leave his mother and father. Yep. 
and shall cleave there to it his is. wife, and they shall become one flesh. I mean, that's exactly what happened here. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. I like that it says that he loved her. Mm-hmm. You know? Because mm-hmm. Abraham loved Sarah, too. Yeah. You know? Like... And here, of course, it has double meaning. Let's not let's not fool ourselves. They they had sexual relations, and and I had a pastor tell me once that means they were married, and that stuck with me as as a younger person to say you can have a ceremony, you can sign a certificate, you can put rings on your fingers, but when you have sex with someone, you're marrying them. <laughs> that means you were married, and I think that. But I think the fact that he didn't say he knew her, but said he loved her, I think that is. I think that is of note here, Laura. I agree. Yeah, this version said he loved her deeply and she was a special comfort to him. So That's awesome. It, it does signify more than just yeah. marriage. That's very special. I love that. Especially because it's an arranged marriage. Like I, I assume yeah. not every arranged marriage was a happy one. Well, I, yeah. I, I, I Leah. Yeah, were, exactly. Uh, <laughs> all of them were. So. Exactly. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. If we leave tonight and you go home what is your take home from these two passages what would you explain to someone if you oh i read genesis 24 today well what was the point what would you how can you apply this to your life i just think that you know the plan i I think i kind of said this before but you know the the plan is there i mean Mm -hmm. you're you're just part of in this case, you know, I mean, Isaac wasn't, he didn't even go. It, somebody else went, yeah. did all of that, and the plan just came together. Mm. Right. So it's just, uh, it, it was God's plan, and, you know, that, that's the way it was going to be. No okay. matter all the obstacles, mm. again, God's plan, and it's, that's the way it's got to be. Okay. So. Uh, and this could have happened a thousand different ways. Yeah. It was very specific. This mm. is what happened. And then, you know, God had already appointed, like you said, the matriarch of the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was already established. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I would second that. I think mm-hmm. God's plan will be, and he'll use any things or combination mm-hmm. of things to accomplish his, mm-hmm. his will his mm-hmm. purpose. It's very evident. I love it. Use man's uh, faithfulness and his unfaithfulness mm-hmm. and his foolishness and yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever he'll That's use all of those things to accomplish as well. Nothing's gonna stop God from mm. doing what he wants to do. Nice. Nice. That's good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just Think God answers prayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, may not always be quite that fast. Mm-hmm. And I also was kind of thinking of God chose Rebecca, and ultimately Rebecca agreed, chose mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. So she did have some choice mm-hmm. in the matter. I mean, I don't know what they would have done if she said no. You know, when, yeah. he, when he they asked her if you will go, but she agreed. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was part of her mm-hmm. God's plan for Rebecca. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he did give her; she did have a choice. It's it's to that some degree. It's that weird, you know, paradox. And I and I've talked about this in my classes before. Life is a paradox. It's hard for us to understand. God chose. Rebecca also chose. Right. It was going to happen. She also had a choice in whether it happened. Both are true here. And I think that's wonderful that the text illustrates that. It wasn't just, you're going to go and she's going to just join you and put tape over her mouth and drag her back on, on, on your camel. Yeah, I love that. that it's pointed out that way. Uh, the, <clears throat> I should pray specifically. Yes. Yep. Because then she knew, when you pray that specifically, you know yep. that God is the only one who can answer that. Yep. You know? Mm-hmm. And... So I'm sure that built his faith, like, oh, mm-hmm. this God does exist, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, I didn't, I just thought of this, but, you know, Abraham w- was obeying God by not going himself to go get ah. Rachel. Mm. He 
sent his servant because he told God that he, you know, God called him out of there. Yeah. And so he didn't go back. That's so, great. You know, because he might have been tempted to stay yeah. because his mm-hmm. wife was gone. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's, to me, it's interesting, too. We we say that he prayed and it happened, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, and that's true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even like Abraham waited 20 years, yeah. but then when the angels showed up, it happened. Mm. And in this case, he waited 37 years, and I've got to yeah. believe that's pretty, you know, long time. You know, that means, you know, I'd have just gotten married three years ago or five, <laughs> whatever, five years ago. The, uh, it, it, it's a long time. And so Isaac probably had to be thinking about this for a while. Mm. Like, when am I going to get a wife? And, you know, and I don't know, mm. you know, what his thoughts were for those, you know, from the age he was yeah. probably 17 to mm. 37. I mean, for 20 years he was mm. probably thinking about at some point. But then once it happened, it was mm. boom, it's happening. Right okay. Now. So I think there's probably a lot, a lot of prayers that led up mm-hmm. to that. Probably twenty years worth of prayers that led up. Gotcha. To that. That's just a guess. I this is know. what does they say when you're police or you're in the army? It's uh, vast amounts wait. of yeah. Hurry up and wait. Vast amounts of boredom with a few moments of sheer terror or something. I don't know if that's it, but maybe it's similar, right? I don't know. It, it seems that Sarah's passing had something to do with yeah. Isaac mm-hmm. in that time of loss. It seems that way, doesn't it? That he needed to move ahead in yeah. his life in that way. That he was probably very attached to his family, both mom and dad. I hadn't I thought of it that way, Craig, but I think there's something to that. Think right. about it. Yeah. It, is, it didn't happen for Isaac until she passed, until Sarah passed away. You know? Well, the way I, I would also look, and maybe you're saying this too, is Sarah waited a really long time to have a son. And, I, and in a way, maybe God gave her 37 years with her son. Because as soon as he married, he would have been. Mm-hmm. It's not my mom. Mama's boy's gone, right? Even if they're living in the in the same area. Right. It's like, I'm going to give Sarah 37 years to enjoy her son in a relationship. I, mean, I, I never thought of it that way, but it could be part of that. Like God was so faithful to say, I know you waited. Now I'm going to give you lots of time to enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> to enjoy it until I take him or you away. So, cool. Well, this is great. Uh, we will we will pick this up next time. Abraham will f- will meet Abraham's end finally after after twenty five chapters, and we'll move on to the next chapter, which is Isaac, and then Jacob. <laughs>